Hey folks, what's up? It's your boy Noir. Thank you so much for listening to Cigars and Crypto. I really do appreciate it. I had a fantastic discussion with Akeem Sawyer, the community lead for Decred Africa. We talked about how he got into crypto, his background in building companies in Africa, Decred governance and infrastructure, adoption, and the future as he sees it. So hey, check out this episode. You'll love it. Akeem is a really bright guy. Make sure you visit my show sponsors, Noir Coin, at Noir Coin on Twitter and at NoirOfficial.org online. I'm going to pay a couple of bills, and then as soon as that's done, we're going to jump right into the episode. All right? So you all take care. You're listening to the only place on the internet that offers the perfect blend of high quality premium cigars and cryptocurrency news and commentary. Welcome to Cigars and Crypto. Now, here's your host, Invest Noir. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Cigars and Crypto. It's your boy, Noir, and I'm so happy to have Akeen Sawyer of Decred with me today. Akeen, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks so much for joining me today. Let's get started. How did you get into crypto? Um, I, I sort of got into crypto initially like a lot of people, um, just speculating on Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, you know, all through my days in college, through most of my career, I, um, you know, I invested in equities, I, I dabbled in some options trading, and a little bit of currency trading. So you know, Bitcoin kind of seemed like this you know, risk asset that one could sort of trade, and, and that's initially what I got into. But then I also um, you know, come from a background of you know, building fintech companies in Africa. And you know, the, the second look I took towards sort of Bitcoin blockchain was this idea of you know, a new frictionless protocol to move value around the world. And I thought it could be a solution to um, the challenge and problems of remittances into Africa and also financial inclusion. So that sort of got me really interested in the technology aspect of blockchains and how they could solve some of these financial related problems that typically impact um, to a larger extent folks in sub-Saharan Africa and emerging economies. It's very interesting. There's a big focus on East and West Africa right now. The economies, the crypto economies in South Africa are pretty much uh, well established. I just read an article earlier today about uh, the number of Bitcoin ATMs in South Africa and the push to uh, include more cryptocurrency transactions via local Bitcoins and via uh, Bitcoin ATMs in Kenya, Ghana, Nigeria, uh, Tanzania, and other countries. So Tell me about the crypto economy in Africa. I've had a number of guests on my show, some of which have discussed how easy it is to acquire cryptocurrencies. Others have expressed how difficult it is to acquire cryptocurrencies. Now, the continent itself is very, very big. So from your experience, what's the climate like for cryptocurrencies in Africa? I think the climate is pretty vibrant. So, I mean, if you think about, you know, most of sub-Saharan Africa is unbanked, right? So depending on what statistics you look at, you know, 60 to 80% of individuals don't have bank accounts. And the majority of economies are actually very informal. And so with that backdrop, you know, people tend to have to fend for themselves and provide for, 
you know, all their needs, right? So in the West, where you have very strong governance and civil society, oftentimes that's not the case in most of Sub-Saharan Africa. So out of that sense, you know, people sort of are on a survival basis, right? Just trying to figure out the next day, figure out the next week. And I think that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies have a certain level of utility that solve quite a bit of problems for Africans. And I think to a large extent, adoption has been, you know, relatively robust, um, particularly for folks who are involved in cross-border trade, cross-border activities. Um, I think part of the reason why it may not be very apparent is, you know, back to this idea and the nature of informal markets. Um, you know, lots of Bitcoin transactions initially in Sub-Saharan Africa were sort of peer-to-peer transactions, right? So local Bitcoins was a pretty well-used platform in the early days um, because you could literally just find people who were, you know, buying and selling Bitcoin and you sort of settle those transactions um, in a peer-to-peer basis, right? You, you kind of transfer them cash or give them physical cash and get Bitcoin, even with the risks involved. And I think over the years, local Bitcoins kind of created like the ability to leverage escrow. So it kind of solved some of those problems. But um, I mean, to the same accord, I mean, if you look at, I think I saw an article a couple months ago um, that said for a period of time, about 8% of all Bitcoin transactions were out of Nigeria. So it gives you a little bit of a sense of how much I think transactional volume um, Bitcoin is used for. I think in the African case, it's, you know, in my view, I think there's some speculators that kind of hold it as a store of value. But I think actually the bigger use case in Sub-Saharan Africa is as a medium of exchange because people are using Bitcoin as a way to settle cross-border and global transactions. And some other reason for that is, you know, within Africa, there are very, very few avenues or very, very few, you know, currency pairs between African countries, right? You might be able to find the dollar or euro or the pound in Africa, but if I wanted to do a transaction out of Nigeria with, you know, Uganda, use the Ugandan shilling, you know, you'd rarely be able to find those currency pairs. Um, and so as an intermediary, you know, people use Bitcoin because Bitcoin is readily accepted or can be readily accepted across Africa and then changed back into fiat currencies. So, you know, this idea of, you know, Bitcoin as a, as a bridge currency is, I think, you know, one of the, the core use cases across Africa. I think that's a very interesting point that you bring up. The Bitcoin as money and as an anchor between other currencies. That's actually something that I've never heard before. Um, And I think it's a brilliant use of the technology and of Bitcoin itself. So tell me about Decred. Um, So I guess I could start about how I got involved in Decred and maybe then go a little bit into, um, expand a little bit upon that. So, you know, as I began, so I began my journey in the blockchain, I was thinking about these sort of, you know, financial uses and financial applications, you know, but I come from a very sort of research-focused background. You know, I studied economics, just generally curious. And, you know, I started just kind of thinking about, you know, how do you, how do you think about the value of these networks over time, fundamentally as marketplaces or as, you know, infrastructure that you can essentially build you know, brand new digital economy. You know, and the one thing I kind of kept, you know, knocking my head against was this idea of, you know, how do you actually govern these networks at scale? Like, you know, how do you think about, you know, various stakeholders participating? 
you know, from a consulting background, you know, when you go into, you know, consulting projects, you know, the things that cause on the performance is, you know, just released to governance, right? What's the leadership structure? How are these enterprises governed? Um, and I found very little conversation, I think, at least, you know, 2015, 16, around just this idea of governance and how do we think about building these entities? So along the way, you know, I, I happened upon Decred because I've been following Chris Berniski, who is... He's a venture investor in the crypto space and, you know, is heavily involved in Decred. And I heard about Decred for the first time when his company, Placeholder, wrote an investment thesis on Decred. So they basically had taken a position in the token and of how he thinks about, um, you know, the ecosystem. And, you know, and, and so I kind of pretty much agreed with this thesis that, you know, over the long term, it's not really the, techno the technology that's going to be the big differentiator. I think it's going to be the governance systems, how robust they are, how inclusive they are, and, you know, how that places these networks in a particular, you know, cultural trajectory is the way I like to put it. And so that's how I got involved in Decred. Um, initially, it was just, you know, this unique entity that had focused on governance as a really important piece of, of how the network was structured. And, you know, like most people say, I just sort of fell down the rabbit hole and, increasingly got involved um, and eventually, you know, I've been focused on it full time. I think that's awesome. I've had an opportunity to take a look at Decred and as a system, I find it quite unique. It's one of the few coin and or token projects in the space that has a valid use case. Let me ask about Decred in Africa. What kinds of initiatives and projects are you doing there? Yeah, so um, I think to get to that, I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, how I see Decred fundamentally. Um, you know, so, you know, Decred, unlike, you know, many cryptocurrencies, you know, we are a cryptocurrency, but the vision is a lot larger than that. You know, so we're really based on this idea that in the future, there will be ways to gather, conduct business, conduct exchange, that is, you know, essentially 100% decentralized and digital, right? So I think it's important to think about Decred more as a sort of economic slash market construct where we're trying to build all the various pieces that will allow us to function on autonomously without having any central parties and having to manage the system, right? Now, having an underlying currency is a critical piece of that because, if you're going to be a marketplace and there has to be a native way to exchange value and that's where the cryptocurrency comes in. But ultimately you also need, you know, various pieces that will allow entity function, you know, so every, so that's where the governance piece becomes really critical because you want a participatory system that allows individuals to have sovereignty, but also have clear guidelines and rules on how they participate within that marketplace. You know, the great thing about, you know, this idea of cryptocurrencies is that the rules can be set mathematically and um, they're kind of fixed, right? And there's some way to audit and to ensure that, you know, if you build your project correctly, that it's verifiable. Now, when you think about that, you know, this idea of, you know, a digital commons or a digital marketplace, um, I think it's extremely relevant in Africa in particular because unlike most of the first world, um, you know, the majority of sub-Saharan Africa is, um, suffers from, you know, the lack of any strong institutions, right? So we have 
weak governments or extremely young democracies. Some are still dictatorships. You have very little sense of individual rights, right? So even though we are kind of moving down this trajectory of democratic entities, um, in many ways, in terms of democracy, we're like, you know, a couple hundred years back, if you really think about it. Um, and we're sort of in this evolutionary pathway that, you know, modern economies like the United States, you know, the United States has been democratic for a couple centuries. And, and so because we have very weak civil institutions, um, weak governments, um, weak financial institutions, right, that are not totally inclusive, I think this idea of, of blockchain commons is really attractive. You know, I like to think about it as anyone can become a citizen. Um, you know the rules are clear and there's equal access. Um, and I think in many ways, that's how I think about you know, at least fundamentally why you know, a well-governed um, digital commons is, is extremely attractive to Africans. And I think because these Africans, or the majority of Africans, have also had to basically fend for themselves because of a lack of strong civil institutions, then you know, there's, a, there's a sort of a very attractive sense of being able to opt in um, to a platform like ours and then um, basically you know, have all the rights that accrue to you know, stakeholders within the system. So would it be safe to say that Decred is less even though it is a currency, it's less a currency specifically and more of a financial or economic infrastructure in which parties who live uh, irrespective of border can participate in this ecosystem and uh, exchange goods and value uh, and services with each other. Would that be a correct assumption? Yeah, I think that's a good way to think about it. Okay. So uh, I have had some folks on, especially some friends of mine from Nigeria who talk about the acceptance of cryptocurrencies. How, how do you think it can be used by Africans uh, like day one? I'm only asking because I've had friends who've talked to me about M-Pesa and how uh, sure. their African counterparts are accustomed to having digital money but it works differently. Do you think if given the opportunity or given the avenues to onboard, it would be used more frequently? Do you think adoption would come faster on the continent than it has in Europe or in America? I think so. I mean, and you know, that's part of why I'm sort of bullish about Decred in Africa. Um, you know, when I think about it, you know, I think in many ways, you know, Crypto networks are the ultimate um, tool for democracy in certain ways, because it's sort of like, you know, a, an equal access game, if you think about it that way, right? There's a monetary policy, there's certain rules of operation, you know, and I think the cryptocurrencies that make those rules the most transparent um, would actually, uh, actually kind of stand in the best position to sort of reap network, network effects. Right. So in Decred's case, right, I'll give a couple of examples. One, you know, you know, all the contractors or people that work with Decred are distributed around the world. Right? There are a handful of Nigerian developers in a few countries that contribute to the project. And they effectively build software, build solutions, um, and they get paid in Decred. Um, they could take that Decred, you know, convert it 
locally through exchanges and into cash. Um, but a couple of things are, are pretty novel about that idea. I mean, I think 10 years ago, it'll be really, really difficult for a developer in you know, some you know, middle town in Nigeria to be able to participate on a global network like ours um, and get paid for it and solely be judged by the quality of their work, right? A lot of people in our network, you know, you, haven't, you don't even necessarily know who they are. They might be pseudo-anonymous, right? But it's this idea of if you do good quality work, if you add value to the network, you could be rewarded for it. And you're not constrained by the borders or the limitations of where you are physically. And I think, you know, that's an extremely um, interesting and novel um, idea, right? And it creates this ability for people to have a more sort of egalitarian society, right? You know, all our developers essentially are paid, <clears throat> you know, similarly, regardless of where they are. And, and when you think about that from a, you know, purchasing power standpoint, if you're in a, you know, emerging market or you know, Southern African country, um, you know, I've done some math and I think the orders of magnitude in terms of the remuneration that our developers get paid in Sub-Saharan Africa, it's orders of magnitude higher um, than they would make, you know, just serving the local economy and, you know, local companies. So there's this idea that, you know, the value you, you're, you're providing to the network is, is priced, you know, on some sort of a global pay scale, right? And you're not limited to what you'd be able to earn locally, right? And I think that's, you know, extremely efficient, right? Is this idea that capital should flow into, you know, the hands of folks that, you know, all things being equal are, you know, producing, you know, certain, a certain quality that is priced um, on a global way. Um, so I think that's, you know, you know, one really interesting uh, example or idea. Um, what's, what was the question again? I had a second thought, but I forgot the initial question. <laughs> I wanted to see how difficult it would be um, in terms of adoption for uh, uh, Africans on the continent to accept uh, using cryptocurrencies, especially Decrypt. Yeah, so I think the challenge then comes in actually building access and infrastructure, right? So we spoke about early on this idea that, you know, people are buying Bitcoin on, you know, peer-to-peer -peer exchanges, but that's evolved, right? Now you have more dynamic exchanges that allow people to use apps like phones. You know, you have exchanges not to, do, not to, similar, not to dissimilar from Coinbase that people have access to. You know, Binance, for example, has been onboarding recently onboarded Nigerian Naira. So basically anyone in Nigeria can now essentially, you know, onboard onto Binance and have access to their global platform. So I think the tools and the access points and the pipes essentially are being built. And, you know, I think as people begin to understand the utility and this idea of, you know, non-sovereign store of value, I think adoption will go up. I think, you know, a lot of it is out of necessity. If you look at most sub-Saharan African countries, um, the majority of them are highly commodity-based in terms of revenue for the countries and extremely susceptible to you know, economic cycles, right? So whenever there is you know, a global contraction, it tends to show up in you know, fairly large devaluations of currency, of local currency. And around those periods of time, people are scrambling looking for foreign exchange, right? If you can buy it and find dollars on the street, you'll buy it at almost any price. Um, and 
in my view, I think people will realize and uh, and and kind of onboard into blockchain because it's in many ways it's, it's actually I mean Bitcoin is actually less volatile than a whole number of currencies across Africa, and you know beyond Bitcoin, this idea of being able to access stable coins I think becomes extremely attractive because if I can store value in this digital dollar or digital euro, then I would you know all day relative to my local currency as long as there's an easy way for me to unwind that position and you know get into cash when I need to. And so a lot of this infrastructure is, 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 is there, it's coming, and it's beginning to proliferate more and more. And I think as people get you know, access to easy applications and you know, mobile, you know, mobile access to these platforms, you know, we'll see the adoption curve continue to increase. Akeem, that was an excellent uh, segue into my last question. Where do you see the future of cryptocurrency and blockchain technology in the next three to five years? Um, I think in the next three to five years, you know, from a global standpoint, you know, I think people will get more comfortable with this idea of a digital store of value, being able to store value in digital form that only I can access anywhere, anytime, any place. Um, I think that's a very, very powerful, in and of itself, it's a very, very powerful thing, right? Because a lot of people who are stuck within, you know, fiat currency systems, effectively, if unfortunately the U.S. government decides to sanction your country, like Venezuela, um, <laughs> you stand to lose everything. And I think the more and more people experience these loss of wealth in terms of, for whatever reasons, right, whether you're on a sanctioned list, or as an economic crash and you lose, you know, you get wiped out. I think this idea of a digital store of value that is not um, susceptible to those shocks, right, directly will become more and more attractive. And, you know, I kind of think about it as, you know, similar to the internet, where initially a lot of folks said, you know, why would I ever need email or, you know, the post office works just as well. Um, I think you'll, you'll get better applications, better UX, better experiences, and you'll get more and more, more people beginning to experiment and use these platforms and you know, realize the virtue of them. So I think in the next three to five years, I think we'll continue to just see adoption of you know, base cryptocurrencies, or at least the ones that have you know, real utility and liquidity. And you know, you know, from there, I think other things could, could come. I think it's still relatively early, and you know, the base utility of cryptocurrencies as a store of value, I think, would be still the predominant um, view over the next two to five years in terms of you know adoption and how people use it. Akeen, I want to take a moment to thank you so much for talking with me and educating me and my listeners. Um, tell me where we can find you online and on Twitter or whatever social media platforms you're a part of. Yeah, so um, you can find me on Twitter. Um, my handle is Akeen Sawyer. That's A-K-I-N-S-A-W-Y-E-R-R. -R. And you can also find me on our Decred chat platform. It's chat.decred.org, um, C-H-A-T dot D-E-C-R-E-D dot O-R-G. Thank you so much for your time, sir. I really appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, Akeen Sawyer. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. No problem.